Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. was the biggest supermodel in the world when a UK tabloid published grainy images of her snorting an illicit substance on their front page. The headline? High as a Kate. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hi, Michelle Andrews. We're back for part two for our series on Kate Moss. Yeah, loving this one so much. In episode one, we covered Kate Moss's semi-controversial rise to prominence and to success from a spread of her bare chest in the face when she was just a teenager to an uncomfortable experience she had with Mark Wahlberg on the set of a Calvin Klein underwear campaign. We also spoke about how Kate was arguably through no real fault of her own, connected to and made the face of the heroin chic movement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that movement became all about global panic around anorexia, partying, drugs, body image. We also touched on Kate's love life, her first love with photographer Mario Sorrenti, then her sort of horrid and very scandalous relationship with Johnny Depp where they trashed every hotel room in, in every hemisphere. Even though there's no two. exaggeration there. Yeah. And we left off episode one in the late 90s. But before we go back there, we do need to talk about one thing very quickly. One small thing. Guys, we recorded this episode before Kate sat down for an interview with Vogue last week. And when I watched that interview with Vogue, Zara, I learned that Pete Doherty, whose name you will hear 28 times in this episode, is actually not called Pete Doherty. It's Pete Doherty. Yeah, and in our defence, there's no C in that name, and I've only ever read it. And I thought to myself, you know what, we could go back and change every single mention, but when I counted them all, there was close to 30, and I thought, I don't have it in me, so you guys are just going to cop Pete Doherty this app. Pete Doherty, guys, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. We're right, he's wrong. We're right, he's wrong. We're going with Doherty for today, but yes, we acknowledge the official pronunciation is Doherty. Yes, we are wrong. (laughs) All right, let's go back to the late 1990s, because we have to discuss another element of Kate Moss's life that captured the attention of the media. It was, of course, her partying. All right, guys. So by the time Kate Moss was in her mid-20s, the press was becoming increasingly fascinated and I would say concerned, but I never think it's genuine concern. It's always a bit of faux concern from the media about Kate's alleged partying and alleged substance abuse. Vanity Fair wrote that she spent much of the 90s drunk, although in that piece did reference fashion photographer Patrick McMullen, who had worked with Kate and run in the same circles as her in the 90s and noughties. He told the publication, most people partied a lot. That's how we got through the shows. I don't remember Kate as being exceptionally wild. On top of all of this, The Independent once noted that Kate had said that she, and I quote, doesn't do any more drugs than anyone else. The paper went on and said this may be true, but it would be interesting to know what anyone else does in her world. I mean, it's a, of course, important contextual point to be like, 
your your sense of reality and what is normal is absolutely informed by what the people around you are doing. Yeah, and it's an interesting one because Kate was without a doubt the biggest supermodel in the world at the time. Is there a chance that the majority of supermodels were behaving and acting this way? But because Kate was the most high profile, she was kind of made the fall guy or like the face of that behaviour when really she was behaving the same way most supermodels were. Uh, Yeah, I think there's a great chance that that was true, which is all just to say, I think, Mish, that Kate Moss definitely built a reputation for loving a party. But she was, as you say, in an industry of glamour and decadence and partying was part of the brand. Yeah, it was. Looking back this really stood out to both of us that the 90s when it came to the modeling industry and the fashion industry were defined by partying the whole vibe was we go out so late at night we run our bodies into the ground we party harder than anyone else to the point where models would openly tell the media that they chronically run late for shoots that they were chronically unprofessional and that was seen as like almost like a sign of status yes Naomi Campbell and Kate Moss both have numerous quotes on the record almost bragging about rocking up to photo shoots an hour late. In Naomi Campbell's case, there's a story about her rocking up to a shoot three days late. And that was seen as kind of like cool and edgy. It's then interesting to note that 10 years later, the mood and the vibe completely shifted. All of a sudden, models didn't want to be seen as party girls who rocked up late and didn't really care about wasting people's time. Models wanted to be seen as like the face of the wellness movement, women who were constantly catching flights, who were constantly diligent about their work. Well, they, I think, wanted to legitimise the line of work and they've spoken publicly. I mean, an example I can think of is Miranda Kerr about talking about how hard the job is and how hard they work. Anyway, putting that to the side for the moment and coming back to the Kate timeline, in 1998, Kate Moss reportedly spent time in rehab in London's Priory Clinic. Now, apparently it was for exhaustion. There wasn't a bunch around it at the time, but Vanity Fair did report that Kate told a friend about the experience in rehab while ordering two glasses of champagne for herself at 11am. What did I learn in rehab? A lot about alcohol, she apparently said to her friend with a wink. I always wonder with anecdotes like this, who's leaking it? And like, yeah, yeah, I'm just always intrigued by it all. I think Kate Moss as well, more than perhaps anyone else we've covered in Scandal, there seems to be a lot of folklore going on about Kate Moss. Like a lot of newspapers report on what friends have observed of her or what people have witnessed. or Rumours. Rumours because Kate didn't speak to the media very much. So we have this illustration of who Kate Moss was around this time, but it's all a bit folklorian. Yeah, exactly. Also, I think important to remember here, in 1999, she was only just turning 25. At this time, The Independent ran a profile with her that opened with, Kate Moss turns 25 today. She is a girl who loves to party, perhaps a little too much by her own admission. This is what landed her in a clinic late last year, but she is out of the clinic now and back on the front pages. And a girl doesn't turn 25 every day after all. In the fashion trash world inhabited by Kate Moss, you don't need an excuse to party. And so when there is an actual reason, you can really let rip. Interesting. Kate was even telling the media around this time about how nicknames were being coined for her because her partying was so quote-unquote legendary. She told Vanity Fair about a phenomenon that was referred to as getting mossed. She said, people that don't know me get mossed. It means I was going to go home, but then I just got led astray. In the best possible way, of course. I mean, it's always fun and a good time. Years later, in a book about Kate's social set, her group of friends titled Champagne Supernovas, writer Maureen Callahan observed, Kate Moss put stuff away so hard and fast, her nickname was The Tank. Yeah, The Independent also once wrote that none of this, none of the rumours or allegations seemed to touch Kate at all. If anything, I think it added to her allure. Journalist Anne Treneman wrote, She has that Teflon way about her. This is because, although she may not be normal, she is a lot more normal than most supermodels. She is the smallest and the coolest. She doesn't spend her free time writing tacky novels or opening restaurants or dating David Copperfield. (laughs) People say that she is a joy to work with and doesn't have an attitude. Interesting. Now, Kate began dating a man called Jefferson Hack around this time. They were first connected in 2001 and Jefferson Hack was the co-founder and editorial director 
of British magazine Dazed and Confused. They met when Jefferson Hack was interviewing Kate Moss. Yeah, and what our listeners will soon realise is Jefferson Hack is one of the quiet heroes of the rest of this episode. We love, and we're deciding for you listeners, you love Jefferson Hack. From what we've read. I always (laughs) have to put that on the record because then someone will say, no, we need to cancel them for this obscure thing that you didn't find in your research. Anyway... British journalist Elizabeth Day would later crown Jefferson Hack the coolest man in Britain. Allegedly, so says the Kate Moss folklore that we've spoken about, (laughs) his first words to her were, when he did interview her, you smell like pee. (laughs) When he was officially confirmed as Kate Moss's boyfriend, The Guardian wrote of him, to many, Jefferson Hack is the luckiest man alive. You can see him in the celebrity gossip pages, the beautiful sun-kissed couple hand in hand or locked in a kiss. His boyish, lanky good looks and her cheekbones. What a match. Earlier this month, it was reported he had proposed to Kate Moss and she had accepted. She has told her friends she wants to start a family with him. Yeah, the piece went on. Jefferson Hack's romance with Britain's wealthiest model has elevated him to triple A-list celebrity. If they were to marry, their wedding would be as talked about as that of Madonna and Guy. Wow. Unless you are one of the 70,000 people who the publishers claim read Dazed and Confused each month, Jefferson Hack's name will mean nothing to you. But in the magazine world, he and his co-publisher are pioneers. They began Dazed and Confused as students at the London College of Printing. By the time of their degree show at Smith's Gallery in London, every body was talking about it. I think what's really interesting is when a then 28-year-old Kate confirmed that she was having a baby with Jefferson in March 2002, there was a framing of kind of relief around Mm, it. Massively. That maybe this was Kate growing up or something. Yeah, take this passage from the Daily Mail's Jeffrey Levy, for instance. The important news is that Kate Moss, once so troubled by drugs but now happily pregnant, is in very good hands. Those of her magazine publisher boyfriend, Jefferson Hack. Jefferson was kind of seen as like... The steady hand. The steady hand. What is that? What's the term? I'm trying to think of that term for someone where they kind of swan in and save you, like this savior complex that Jefferson Hack came into Kate Moss's life with angel wings and showed her the conventional way to live a life. Yeah, showed her the light or something. Yeah. I think the other thing I find really interesting in this quote, but also the general sense in the media at the time, was it was that her being pregnant signaled to the world that she was back on track. And I do think it does absolutely harp back to that idea that we find women are on track when they are following those milestones that we expect of them. And she is returning to what her purpose is, which is to be a mom, caretaker, a mother. Now, in 2002, she gave birth to their daughter, Lila Grace. Unfortunately, though, the relationship between Jefferson Hack and Kate Moss didn't last long. As Vanity Fair once reported, even though Kate Moss and Jefferson Hack dated for several years, it was not a relationship destined to last. Yeah, a source close to the couple told Vanity Fair that the relationship was practically doomed. Here's a passage from that piece. Jefferson fell in love with her and I think he thought the habits of that person will change. And I don't think that's what she's about. The source that spoke to Vanity Fair for that piece went on to give an anecdote that Jefferson Hack apparently wants to settle down and watch TV with their young daughter every night while Kate Moss wants to go out partying. They concluded to the publication, it was clearly doomed. The couple split in 2004, but actually have remained pretty close ever since. Reflecting on his relationship with Kate to The Guardian, Hack said, My relationship with Kate was very well documented as it would be, but you know, I'm not a performer. It was never a way to communicate or create an identity. There was a lot of annoying hassle that got in the way of the reality of what was going on, but I always felt very grounded by the magazine. If I hadn't had that, things might have turned out very differently for me. Mm. A year after her split with Jefferson Hack, Kate started dating Pete Doherty. Now, he was the Libertines frontman. The year was 2005. She was 31. He was 26. And if Jefferson Hack was renowned as the angel in Kate Moss's life... Pete Doherty was perhaps renowned as the devil. Yeah, the devil on her shoulder. This, for me, 2005, was my, like, tabloid era. This is, like, I have, like, a really unique level of celebrity knowledge from about the years 2004, 2005. Am I correct in thinking Trish McDonald would deliver an 11-year-old Zara 
tabloid magazines when she got home from not, work. Not quite. We, we, <laughs> if we've got time for the tangent. Oh, we've got time. Um, so my family did a bit of travelling and camping when I was in primary school and mum and dad on two separate occasions took extended leave and we would travel around Australia in a caravan. So we would this always... This really is a tangent. <laughs> we, we would always have to go to like a laundromat to do our washing when we were travelling in the caravan. Yes. And at those places there were always tabloid magazines. So mum and I would like get so excited to do the laundry because we'd just sit and read like a Who magazine or Woman's Day back from 2004, 2005, even 2003. <laughs> so my celebrity knowledge from this time is quite bang on. Razor sharp. I remember the images of Kate Moss and Pete Doherty like they were yesterday. Well, may the mid-noughties always be the years that you became acquainted with Australian nature yeah. and got really fucking good at tabloid knowledge. <laughs> Set me up for my career. <laughs> now, let's talk about Pete Doherty for a second because I think to understand Pete Doherty, you need to sort of understand this passage published in The Independent when Pete Doherty sat down with them for a 2004 profile, right? This is how it went. As he famously failed to perform at two sold-out performances, inciting near hysteria among his fans, the fact that he has managed to keep this appointment at all comes as something of a surprise. What's more, he's arrived with two full minutes to spare. Yeah, the piece continued. Far from resembling the wraith-like heroin addict he has been painted as in the press, he looks pathetically vulnerable. One imagines that it was this vulnerability that led his fans, typically girls of about 15 who want to sleep with him and boys who want to be him but don't want to go to rehab, to bombard the offices of the music magazine NME with urgent phone calls desperately seeking confirmation that their idol was okay. Now, if anyone thought Kate Moss was a party girl around this time, she didn't even hold a candle up to Pete Doherty. Yeah, in the years before Pete Doherty met Kate Moss, we just wanted to give you some context on a bit more of what was going on for him. In 2003 and 2004, it was pretty uh, difficult years for Pete Doherty. The downward spiral started with his behaviour being so unpredictable that his band decided to tour Europe without him. That was followed by a short-lived rehab stint where he didn't make it past the first group session. A month after that, he was arrested and sentenced to six months in prison for robbing his bandmates flat. A weird twist in the story. A super weird twist. The following year in July, that bandmate publicly announced that Doherty would no longer be playing with the Libertines because he was battling drug addiction. Now, Carl Barrett, this man who was robbed by Pete Doherty, said, (laughs) I think it would be irresponsible to play with Peter when he's in this state. That was in a press release. Yeah, Pete Doherty's addiction to drugs was really well documented and was something that he openly acknowledged to the media himself. He told The Independent in 2004, it is impossible for things to go on as they have done. I will end up six feet under, particularly with the crack. It just spirals into the darkest, saddest melody. But there is something irresistible about it. Something like waiting for the perfect wave that never comes. But it is awful if it destroys anything that is good. So that's Pete. Time for us to discuss how Pete met Kate. Yeah, so according to reports, Pete Doherty and Kate Moss met in January 2005 at her 31st birthday party. In the early days, they tried to keep their relationship casual and under wraps. In his memoir called A Likely Lad, Pete Doherty wrote... We'd meet for the night or for a couple of hours sometimes, but I wouldn't be allowed to tell anyone. We were attracted to each other. I really loved her and I knew she loved me. There was just all this messiness in between us with her chaos and my chaos. Yeah, Vanity Fair wrote of the relationship. To Moss, Pete was irresistible. Mostly, though, some friends saw very quickly that the relationship spelled trouble for Moss. Jefferson Hack's parents told the Daily Mail that when they first heard about the relationship, they thought it so incredible it must be a joke. I feel like when I think of these two, the immediate image that comes to my mind is just messy, like chaotic, messy, a little grungy. I feel like every pap photo ever taken of Kate Moss and of Pete Doherty was of them dishevelled. Yeah, when I look back at this time, the image that comes to mind is them like stumbling out of clubs or cars together, looking quite messy. According to Pete's memoir again, the drugs became a key figure in their relationship. He said... That was the running battle for the next two and a half years, really. The drugs and her obsession with the tabloids and her image. Kate's big thing was not taking her for a 
Second time in this series. Second time. Only second time we've ever had to say it on the show. <laughs> it was her favourite expression. Yeah, apparently Kate told Pete at the start of their relationship that if he wanted to be with her long term, he would have to quit heroin. A source spoke about this to Vanity Fair and they said, Kate knew that there was a tightrope she mustn't cross. And she did have in the back of her mind Courtney Love. And she said to him, you must get this treatment. I can't have you around if you're this out of control because it's going to get me into trouble. Yeah, the media was absolutely obsessed with them. Vanity Fair wrote, The relationship with Doherty was obvious fodder for the British tabloids. In particular, The Sun and The Daily Mirror, which ran photograph after photograph of the couple, making them seem like the modern incarnation of rockers Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen or Keith Richards and Anita Pallenberg. Doherty's hangers-on would, according to one person, alert the photographers when the couple was likely to show up and get paid handsomely for their efforts. So the inference there is that it was Doherty's hangers-on, like Doherty's team or people associated with him who would tip off the paparazzi. But the quote we had from Doherty earlier about Kate being obsessed with the tabloids and with her image suggests that he thinks the opposite was true, that it was Kate Moss's team tipping off tabloids. Well, I don't know if he was ever hinting towards that as much as he was. She wanted to very much curate her image with Mm. the tabloids. So if she was going to be reported on, she was quite obsessed with people not thinking she was either uptight or arrogant. Mm, It's interesting. So that's what was going on in Kate's love life in 2005. But let's turn back to her career for a second because by this point – Kate was absolutely the biggest model in the world. She had become the first ever model to grace British Vogue's cover 10 times. And as you can imagine, that gong comes with massive amounts of money too. Zara, we're going to hear all about Kate Moss's financial success right after the break. Alrighty, Mish. So as you touched on just before the break, Kate Moss was absolutely killing it. She was making huge amounts of money too. She'd scored a massive H&M contract worth about $1.7 million alongside a $700,000 a year Burberry deal and a $1.3 million contract with Chanel. Vanity Fair reported that she was worth about $55 million. Not bad. But... A drug use scandal that year threatened to ruin her career. Yeah, because on September 15, 2005, British tabloid The Daily Mirror ran grainy camera phone stills of Kate perched on a leather couch in a London recording studio, allegedly chopping and snorting multiple lines of cocaine. The headline they ran the photos under was high as Kate. Feels very 2005 that these this was like taken on a camera phone, right? So it was a video And the way it was published by tabloids was they took screenshots of that video. But they're very blurry and they're not very high res at all. Yeah, according to Vanity Fair, Kate snorted five lines in 40 minutes as per the footage. So I think the natural question is, well, how in the world does this footage get to the press? I found this absolutely fascinating when we were digging into this, that there was this line in Pete Doherty's recent memoir where he touched on this. And this is what he said. I've always wondered if the big Kate expose had something to do with Paul Rowe, which is referencing his own acquaintance, Paul Roundhill. The pictures were supposed to be worth £300,000. Paul had everyone's mobile number and he was always trying to set things up with the papers. He'd say, I've been in touch with a guy from the Mirror or the Sun and they want to do a positive piece and he'd end up brokering the deal. Like how can you just throw someone's name (laughs) under the bus? To call it litigious would be... An understatement. I was stunned when I read this. Also, just like the ease with which he was happy to point a finger at someone randomly with absolutely no evidence. Absolutely. Just to be like, well, I know that he had the numbers of a few journos in the past, so it must be him. It's an incredible act of finger pointing <laughs> in an so incredibly weird. like cemented way like a book. Feels very immature as well. Like you do that when you're six to be like, well, they were looking a bit dodgy on the playground. Yeah, look. Maturity doesn't seem to be Pete Doherty's strong suit. Pete said that the photos being leaked caused massive friction between him and Kate, which I'm sure we can all imagine. He wrote, There had been times in the past when photos had been taken off my phone and used in the press. So after the high as a Kate thing, Kate turned against me. She said, If you didn't sell the photos, how did they get in the papers? And I couldn't say. I just presumed a friend of mine must have done it. I'm raising a few eyebrows about this. The fact that there was form with content being on Pete Doherty's phone then making it into (laughs) – 
the newspapers is just some interesting context for us to all consider. I think there'd just be such a level of paranoia if this happens to you, if you're Kate Moss. Like he would turn around to everybody who was in that room and wonder who did this. Mm. When she first learned of the video and of the stills being made public, Kate was actually working in New York shooting W Magazine's November issue. She was reportedly incredibly shocked by the video and by primarily by the invasion of privacy that it represented. When this was published, she was absolutely hounded by the press. When she tried to have dinner with her ex-boyfriend, Mario Sorrenti, he said that they were hassled by the press so much as they tried to get into the car. He said it was like rats over the garbage. She got pushed and shoved. So did I. Yeah, Kate Moss was staying at the Mercer Hotel and tried to shut herself off from the frenzy. She reportedly told a reporter, fuck off, fuck off off. Now, she was being followed everywhere and the night this story broke, an advertising guru by the name of David Lipman told Vanity Fair that he went to her hotel room, hugged her and said, Kate, this is going to be a storm. You're going to need to stand strong and stand tough. This is not going away. He told Vanity Fair that he, and I quote, knew that the English media were going to be brutal. It would be very difficult. No matter what you think about drugs, we'll put that to the side for one second. No matter what you think about Kate Moss's actions, it would be very difficult to deal with a level of personal betrayal to this level, whilst also trying to navigate the public humiliation of it. Oh, hugely. And also for something that's like private, like it's a private moment, like a private decision for her. Of the time, Vanity Fair wrote, the London newspapers began to question whether Moss was an appropriate role model for 17-year-old girls. Reporters were sent to various stores that carried products she endorsed to survey young shoppers on their views about her. The Independent reported that the head of the Metro Police, Sir Ian Blair, who had been leading a campaign against the cocaine epidemic in Britain, said the police would be questioning Moss. The Kate Moss story took on a life of its own. I mean, it's a, a huge time in the world generally for the war on drugs, mm. right? There was a lot of fear-mongering about drugs and a lot of promising to be clamping down. Yeah, 100%. And I think, as is so predictable every time we do this series, the sexist reporting came through like an absolute tsunami. Take this from the Independent's Katie Guest, who wrote at the time, there is a vulpine glint in her deep grey eyes. Her face has begun to look ugly. There was nothing passive about the images of Kate Moss snorting cocaine. It is not a new image. The rebel woman baring her teeth, snake-haired and wild. She is uncontrollable. She is predatory. She is, frankly, not very ladylike at all. Yeah, Vanity Fair also wrote, It was, says one of Moss's closest friends, the London hairdresser, Sam McKnight, reminiscent of what happened to the late Princess Diana whose hair he styled. This singling someone out, we haven't seen that for a long time. I guess it's because a powerful, strong woman is a bit of an enigma, aren't they? Yeah, the worst part of all of this, I suppose, was the fact that there were many false reports at the time that said that social services would be considering removing Lila Grace from the custody of Kate Moss. What was beautiful to see, though, amidst all of the gross stuff was how no amount of tabloid pressure could make the bond between Kate and Jefferson Hack crack. According to the Irish Examiner, when asked by the tabloids whether Jefferson Hack would be pushing for full custody of Lila Grace and ripping that from Kate Moss, he said, Kate has been hung out to dry. People do not realise what a caring and loving mother she is to our daughter. No, oh, we love that. A week after the high as a Kate story was published, Kate Moss released a formal statement apologising for her behaviour. The statement read, I take full responsibility for my actions. I also accept that there are various personal issues I need to address and have started taking the difficult yet necessary steps to resolve them. I want to apologise to all of the people I have let down because of my behaviour, which has reflected badly on my family, friends, co-workers, business associates and others. I'm trying to be positive and the support and love I've received are invaluable. I find this statement quite interesting because if you listen to Kate Moss talk about this today, she was incredibly resentful about A, the fact she had to apologise for this and B, the fact she needed to pretend that she had something to fix in her life. It's a good apology though. Like I think whoever crafted that with her or for her did a good job for what was required at oh, the time. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure there are many a celebrity who release a statement that they 
are resentful that they have to release, but they need to salvage their career. Yeah, unfortunately, the bad news would keep coming for Kate Moss soon after the initial report. The Mirror wrote this. We are also told how Kate Moss nearly blacked out after smoking super strength skunk cannabis in another drug binge in Ibiza last month. Another report added to the mess and the misery. An unnamed model decided to speak to the tabloids about a night she supposedly spent with Kate Moss five years earlier where she said that Kate and I quote, hoovered ketamine like a machine. It's interesting the kinds of characters that jump... Come out of the woodwork. Yeah, really revel in a bandwagon like this one. Yeah, here in Melbourne, actually, the Age newspaper gathered up the tabloid news stories about Kate's partying and presented it all under a simple but pretty damning headline that read, A Supermodel's Drug Diet. As you can only imagine, this was not a scandal that brands wanted anything to do with it all. H&M initially indicated that they would give Moss a slap on the wrist on the 17th of September, so two days after the headlines broke. The brand publicly announced it would be sticking by Moss with a spokesperson telling the BBC, after hearing her explanation and her regret, we've decided for the time being to continue the campaign. To say that did not go down well is an understatement. Two days after that, H&M was forced to backflip with a spokesperson refronting the media who said, we thought we were going to go in one direction. After looking at it more closely, the management team in Sweden took time over the weekend to analyse the situation and decided after meeting with each other that it was better to cancel the campaign at this point. According to Slate, though, even that was not good enough. The public and the media were out for blood and demanded an even stronger stance from H&M. So they actually had to give a third statement on this. This is what they told the New York (laughs) Times. If someone is going to be the face of H&M, it is important they be healthy, wholesome and sound. After the feedback from customers and other papers, we decided we should distance ourselves from any kind of drug abuse. How fascinating that a brand as big as H&M, as colossal as H&M, needed three attempts to read the room. I know. I think the minute you realise one apology doesn't work, it's not like you usually do a second apology. There's always like a third or fourth (laughs) because you're always half-assing it. Now, Chanel also said that it wouldn't renew its contract with Kate, which was set to expire that October, although they said their decision had nothing to do with the drug scandal. Burberry also dropped their campaign with her. They actually didn't have an exclusive contract with Kate, but it worked with her in nine out of its 15 advertising campaigns over the previous seven to eight years. They were scheduled to shoot a new campaign featuring her in the months after the scandal, but decided to drop it. The company put out a statement that said, we wish Kate all the best. Mm, But interestingly, comments from Alexandra Shulman, the editor of British Vogue, really ring true now for what we thought Zara was going on all along. She said, everybody knew that brands were buying into the Kate Moss bad girl thing. And then suddenly it's like, actually, we can't be seen doing this. That is so accurate. They all lent into the whole vibe of Kate Moss. They never knew what the vibe was. There were plenty of rumours and reports going on for years. To then backtrack and go, oh, well, we only want wholesome spokespeople. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that's not at all what you wanted. You just wanted it when it was all the more elusive and a little more vague. Ambiguous. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Others in the industry came forward during the final week of the Paris collections. Designer Alexander McQueen took a bow wearing a T-shirt that read, We love you, Kate. She reportedly retreated to the Meadows Clinic in Arizona where she completed 30 days of treatment. Interestingly, the one company or brand that actually didn't really distance themselves from Kate Moss was Rimmel. They prepared a statement announcing their support for Moss and intent to continue working with her. After all, Mish, they had just before this, shot a campaign called Recover, showing her looking beautiful after a hard night's partying. As Vanity Fair wrote... If Kate emerges from the Meadows Clinic looking clean and restored, it will have been a marketing coup for Rimmel. How interesting. I really love that they stuck with that because I think that's quite smart marketing. Well, it was the campaign they were going for. It just became a little more 
real factual <laughs> as time went on. It's so interesting that that's just what they happen to be pushing anyway. Kate Moss's friend, Mark Quinn, the British sculptor and artist, commented, Kate will come out a more culturally complex figure from all of this. Sharon Stone, Naomi Campbell and Robbie Williams were three high-profile figures who also publicly came out in support of Kate Moss. W Magazine stuck by their decision to run her on the cover of their November issue. And as Vanity Fair reported, that magazine's issue with her on the cover was its best-selling issue in five years. It remains to be seen how much money Moss, who reportedly makes between $5 million and $9 million a year and whose net worth has recently been estimated at $55 million, will lose from the scandal. So at this point, most people would have guessed or put their money on the fact that Kate Moss's career was over, but it absolutely wasn't. In fact, even from November 2005, just two months after the scandal, the cocaine stills were being seen as like this edgy, artsy thing, so much so that one British artist by the name of Stella Vine literally used the images as the inspo for her art exhibition called The Beautiful and the Damned. The exhibition was an ode to beauty, rock and roll, luxury and glamour, and images of Kate partying were captioned with sentences like, Holy water cannot help you now and I only make love to Jesus. <laughs> Speaking to The Independent about her art exhibition, Stella Vine pretty perfectly encapsulated what it was about Kate that saw her return to prominence and dominance so quickly. She said, there's something in Kate's eyes, a spirit that we're fascinated with. She's been in the business for so long. She's almost the most beautiful woman in the world, a Mona Lisa. She has that Catherine Deneuve mysterious thing. You can read her how you want to. We're fascinated by rock and roll wild culture because most of us can't do that for whatever reason. It's nice to see people being hedonistic, decadent and glamorous. Vine also pointed out the hypocrisy of the media coverage, which very few others were discussing at the time. She said, if a woman has a child and has a really wild life, it all gets a bit more vindictive. She's a terrible person. Whereas if a man has a wild life and a child, it's okay because the mother's looking after the kid. For instance, while many questioned whether Kate would lose custody of Lila, we didn't see any of that reporting around Pete Doherty's parenting abilities, despite the fact that he too was also a parent of a small child when the story broke. Yeah, in May 2006, about eight months after the cocaine headlines first broke, The Guardian wrote this. Before her cocaine scandal, Kate Moss was worth £4 million a year. She's now earning three times as much. Just what is Kate doing right? I really want to explore this with you because... This could have gone one way and I guess a lot of people when the headline first came out would have thought, well, this is the end of Kate Moss's career or at least this is the beginning of a slow decline for Kate Moss's career. That was proven to be not the case whatsoever. Kate Moss thrived in the wake of this cocaine scandal. It's bizarre. And I'd love to unpack why. Yeah, well, exactly. I think The Guardian posed this interesting question to an unnamed fashion editor, right? And they asked, could it be that a scandal that would have ended the career of any other celebrity has tripled the currency, the desirability and the net worth of this one? And so this anonymous fashion editor that was interviewed for the story replied saying, absolutely. At the time the Daily Mirror story broke, there was a lot of tosh about how her career was over, but no one believed it really. And so then there was a load more tosh that she was having a comeback when she never really went that far away to come back. And now they're all pretending to be surprised that she's hotter than she was before when her bad girl thing was always an essential part of her allure. Now it's like she's more Kate than she was before because all our most exciting suspicions about her have been confirmed. Yeah, you could also say that Kate's incredible network really came into bat for her when this scandal happened and really cushioned her from the potential fallout as well. Take her ex-boyfriend Johnny Depp for instance. When probed on his thoughts about Kate's cocaine scandal, he told a reporter, I am appalled and shocked at the kind of vicious attacks. Kate's super sharp, really smart and has got a great heart. She's a good mum and she just happens to be human and the press won't allow that and that's unforgivable. I don't think we can overstate how much the likes of Johnny Depp back in 2005, a lot of people's favourite movie star at the time, would have helped 
Kate come back into our good graces. Yeah, she had an incredible network. By May 2006, Kate had signed contracts with Nikon, Calvin Klein, Roberto Cavalli, Bulgari, Stella McCartney, Longchamp and Virgin Mobile. Virgin Mobile's not quite as hot as the other brands. Well, it's, it used to be hot. Maybe not as hot anymore. The BBC reported a year after the scandal, Kate's career seemed truly over. Yet with a band of celebrity supporters, she made a colossal comeback. 12 months on, she has snagged 18 top modelling contracts and has now been crowned Model of the Year at the British Fashion Awards. <laughs> Have you ever seen a comeback like it? In November 2006, so a year and two months after the scandal, The Independent published an article titled Kate Redeemed as Face of Fashion After Drug Shame. This is how they opened the story. This time last year, Kate Moss was the very model of indiscretion. A cocaine scandal had made her too hot for the catwalk and the scissors were out to cut her name from the top labels. But the alley cat who gave the world heroin chic has since morphed into a celebrity glamour puss. The second coming of Kate Moss is now complete. Yeah, wow. So what was Pete Doherty doing around this time? Well, Pete actually went to rehab, the same one that Kate went to after she got home. However, he didn't last in there. He left early and in his memoir wrote that Kate was furious about that. He said, when Kate found out I hadn't finished the treatment, she told me point blank that that was it. There was no way we could see each other now. The split was all over the press. Kate was quoted in the mirror saying, I wish I'd never met him. He's a user in every sense of the word. Everything was falling apart. Yeah, they actually did get back together for a short time, Kate and Pete. They were on and off for the next year or two, but it really wasn't to be for much longer. Pete said one of his final memories of their relationship was actually at Glastonbury. He wrote this. I think Glastonbury 2007 was the last time Kate and I stepped out together. Something of a fine memory set in stone. Just wandering about, enjoying a stress-free Glastonbury. I played the Greenfield acoustic stage. I remember giving Stella McCartney's husband the heave-ho from the caravan we stayed in after he made some strange comments about the state of my health. I had them all chucked out of the caravan. I had a massive shoebox full of drugs. Really happy time. The quotes are quite Pete Doherty, I'll say that. Yeah. He wrote of their breakup, there was not really one specific incident that finished the relationship. Our worlds were not really compatible in the end. But then he also said this, there was one final big old kickoff. Kate desecrated this 1930s Gibson, which is a guitar I had, smashed it up. Then she covered this teddy bear of mine called Pandy in petrol and set him alight. It's not funny. I used to carry him around London with me. Yeah, it sounds super toxic. I think that's really the only word we can give to it. Pete Doherty went on to say, it was always the same for all those years. Highs and then crushing violent lows. It was not sustainable. I'm quite fragile really within myself. That kind of destructive relationship, there's nothing glamorous about it. It wears you down in the end and turns you nasty. Alas, for Kate Moss, the scandals didn't end there. Fast forward to 2009 and one of the... uh, more famous Kate Moss scandals comes to the fore because Women's Wear Daily published an interview with Kate running with the headline, Kate Moss, the waif that roared. Now, at this point in her life, Kate Moss was 35 and I think this interview to me, given how big it ended up becoming, was not a big profile at all. No. It was an incredibly surfacy, low-stakes Q&A. For example, when I went back and read this interview – that we're about to talk about. Some of the questions were so banal and mundane. The questions were, do you have a mentor? What inspires you? What do you do to relax? How do you channel your creativity? And do you have any mottos? So it's the kind of interview that's incredibly easy for a public figure because it's pretty hard to say anything stupid. It's almost the kind of interview that is so low stakes, you don't even jump on the phone for it. You respond to the questions in an email and you say yes to it because there is no room for controversy because it's all fluff. Except there was much room for controversy here. Well, Kate carved out room to make her own controversy. In response to the question, do you have any mottos? Kate Moss now famously responded, there are loads. There's nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. That's one of them. You try and remember, but it never works. Now, this blew my mind because I was big on Tumblr around the year of 2009 and this quote was perhaps the most prolific piece of content across that app. It was the motto of the pro-anorexia movement that sadly dominated that website for so very long. 
I read it as a young woman and always thought, oh, that's what Kate Moss said back in the 90s or that's a, that's 100%. an old, old, old Kate Moss quote. And I remember taking it as gospel when I had issues with this stuff. To read that it was from 2009 and she said it in an interview like this one just really surprised me in our research. Yeah, I totally agree with you, but then it makes perfect sense why it caused such a fuss. And it caused particularly a fuss, as you can imagine, from not-for-profits who were working in the body image and eating disorder space. Susan Ringwood, the chief executive of BEAT, which is an eating disorder charity, told The Guardian at the time that Moss's words were, and I quote, very dangerous because the slogan was strongly associated with pro-anorexia websites. She went on, this phrase is often used as one of their 10 commandments or mantras, and it is young women between the ages of 12 to 20 who are at the most risk of anorexia, which is unfortunately the same group that could be influenced by celebrity culture. Yeah, Kate's agency actually had to respond to the backlash that her quote was getting, and they essentially argued that it was all taken out of context. The statement read, this was part of a longer answer Kate gave during a wider ranging interview, which has unfortunately been taken out of context and completely misrepresented. For the record, Kate does not support this as a lifestyle choice. Super distracting, I think, and not necessarily accurate because when you read the interview, I don't know how this could be taken out of context. She was asked for her favourite motto and she gave that as her favourite. Yeah, I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt that are interviewed because I do think there are many ways that quotes can be taken out of context, right? There are always many ways. But this is one of those times where I'm like, but how? Very recently in Kate's interview with Desert Island Discs that we've talked about in the last couple of episodes, she elaborated on why she said what she said. She said, so basically I was doing an interview at the time and I was living with musician Jimmy B and a friend and she was a bit of a snacker. So on the fridge, Jimmy B had written, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. I don't know why, but it just popped into my mind because that's what was happening at the time. We were saying it because it was funny, but it was completely taken out of context. I think my problem with this response as well in 2022 is it also really didn't acknowledge how much damage it did, like how far and why this was shared and how many people did take this as gospel. And I think, you know what, all well and good some 13 years later to stick to your guns and say, no, it was taken out of context, but you still have to acknowledge impact. Yeah, I think there's something about this quote and this motto from Kate Moss that's incredibly sticky in the minds of people who struggle with this stuff. Even in the minds of people that don't. Yeah. I think there is something about this quote far and wide that people actually just remember, whether or not it's something that they believe or not. I do think it's something that sits in the subconscious of a lot of people. It's like Velcro. It's a really yeah. interesting one. And I agree. I think I'm, I am disappointed by that response from Kate Moss. I think in the moment, maybe we can be a little bit too harsh with the ways that people apologize for things or address things. But if you've had 13 years of hindsight I just expect a lot more with what comes out of your mouth other than, oh, well, it's just taken out of context. I found it funny. Yeah. Another thing that was quite interesting in that recent Desert Island Discs interview is host Lauren Laverne actually asked Kate Moss about the fact that she has stood up for and by men in her life who have been through their own very public controversies. I mean, one of those men, of course, is Johnny Depp, whom we know Kate testified for at his defamation trial. Another one of those men, though, is fashion designer John Galliano, who was found guilty of some just awful, awful, beyond awful racist abuse in 2011. So awful that we're not going to include it on the show. Yeah, it was absolutely horrific. In that interview, Kate explained, I believe in the truth and I believe in fairness and justice. I know that John Galliano is not a bad person. He had an alcohol problem and people turn. People aren't themselves when they drink and they say things that they would never say when they were sober. She went on to address the Johnny Depp stuff. She said, I know the truth about Johnny. I know he never kicked me down the stairs. I had to say that truth. I think we can maybe in this instance separate these two examples out and treat them perhaps differently. I agree with Kate. If there is an allegation made in court that you yourself witnessed, you were there for, and you know it is not the case, then yes, absolutely. Especially when you're involved with that. Like if people are spreading rumours about you and and you say that's your experience and that did not happen, then yes, I think you have every right to to say your experience. To clear the floor and say, this is my story. Who was anyone else to say that you're lying, you know? The John Galliano example, though, is, is really fascinating to me. I think I find it very hard to swallow 
when you dig into some of the things that he's been accused of and found guilty of. Like for me, I'm genuinely wondering how you you stick by people in your life that do things like that. I think it really shows how people in, in her industry really do protect each other and I think stories like that can go away to explaining how she herself was protected from controversy too. Even though there were very different controversies, it's very much – you know, have each other's backs no matter what somebody does. Yeah. I also just flatly reject the premise that alcohol makes someone a racist. Yes. I flatly reject that. Doesn't make sense to me. Shouldn't be an excuse in any level. Yeah. So I think that brings us to today. We haven't really checked in in Kate's love life Mm. for a few years through this timeline. So let's quickly get the listeners back up to speed about her relationships of the last few years. Yeah. Well, in 2007, mutual friends actually set Kate Moss up with indie rock musician Jamie Hintz. Now, they became engaged in the year 2008. They got married in July 2011 in the English countryside. They did, however, separate in 2015 and divorced the following year. That same year that Kate separated from her ex-husband, Jamie, she entered into a relationship with a photographer 13 years her junior. Now, here's a man referred to as Count Nikolai von Bismarck. Yeah, by all reports, the couple are still together today. In January, she told Harper's Bazaar, being in love makes me feel beautiful. My favourite moments are when all the family are sitting down together, having lunch on a sunny Sunday afternoon in the country. She is, according to some reports, or a lot of reports really, but Mm. we initially couldn't find the quote straight from herself, sober and has been for a few years. As we've mentioned through the last couple of episodes, she does really give interviews and if she has given interviews over the years they're only to top fashion magazines like Vogue who kind of focus on her style but they're all quite surfacy. Yeah a few months ago though the fashion world did start paying keen attention to the life and career of someone very very close to Kate her now 19 year old daughter Lila. It turns out Lila Moss is actually represented by Kate's own modeling agency Kate Moss Agency. In April of this year Lila was on the cover of British Vogue. The magazine declared in their piece with her a clutch of campaigns, a raft of runway appearances a supermodel mother, Lila Moss has the fashion world at her feet. Yeah, and it just so happens that just a week and a half ago, she announced the launch of her own wellness brand now called Cosmos. It is positioned as, and I quote, self-care created for life's modern journeys, according to the company's Instagram account. We don't know exactly what she's selling at the time we're recording, but the Daily Mail do report that she could be selling detox tea, a CBD facial oil, and a sacred fragrance mist. It appears Kate Moss is officially in her goop era, and I guess nature is healing. (laughs) What a full circle moment for all of us. Well, it's not even a full circle, mate. It's a 180. Yeah, what a half circle moment for all of us. Yeah, semi-circle. She's now really lent in to the wellness space, and I've got to say it's perhaps the least surprising detail of this entire series. I know, guys. That is all we've got time for today. A big thank you, as always, to our researcher, Justine Landis-Hanley, who works on these with us. Mish, where can listeners find us? Oh, Please come find us on TikTok. We're planning on doing some cool video content for this series, so follow us on there. We're at shameless underscore podcast. If there's ever a time to come look at the nostalgic throwback photos, you know, it's for this series. We are also on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. So, you know, come chuck us a follow and see what we're up to. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. We will be back in your ears on Thursday for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Bye. See ya. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.